I'm Alexis Christophorus, and this is Electionomics. And this week, we are talking about the rise of Bernie Sanders in the polls among Democrats and whether the self-proclaimed Democratic Socialist is indeed unstoppable. Rick Newman is off this week, and I am delighted to welcome to this podcast Dr. Lee Miringoff, director of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion. Lee, it's great to have you here. It's my pleasure to be here. So, not only is stopping Bernie Sanders going to be difficult, the time, the window to have done so may have already passed. If no one drops out of the race by Super Tuesday, is it impossible to stop Bernie Sanders? Well, I think, first of all, there's a tendency this whole election season to kind of get ahead of our ski on our skis a little bit, mm. get a little bit down the road, a little bit further than we probably are in terms of uh, of the realities, keeping pace with the analysis. So the analysis is already that Bernie Sanders may not be stoppable when he's only gotten about two or three percent of the delegates he needs for the nomination. So I think there's a long story still to be told here. Um, there's no doubt there's a crowded field still, and a multi-candidate field works well for someone who has a concentrated group of support. So if he has 30, 35 percent, that's going to do him very well in these, uh, as it has already, uh, with the popular vote, and uh, will do him well in a lot of the Super Tuesday uh, states coming up very, very soon. I want yeah. to for briefly look back at the Nevada caucus because what mm. do, do what the voters did there, what does that tell us about sort of the psyche nationwide? Is Nevada sort of a better indicator of how the rest of the country may vote just because of its of its makeup in terms of, of minorities? Well, it's stuff? the first time. I mean, we you know, the thing about the rap on Iowa and New Hampshire is that they're not very diverse uh, at all. And, uh, and then you finally get to Nevada and now South Carolina and you pick up what more the country looks like in terms of Latino and African-Americans, particularly in the Democratic Party, uh, which is really fueled by a lot of uh, uh, Latino and uh, African-American voters and will be throughout the primary season and in the general election in November. So we haven't had that until Nevada. And that was very interesting because Bernie Sanders did very well, uh, particularly, and, and I think it was startling, the results, um, among uh, Hispanic youth uh, under 30. Uh, he was running a huge advantage uh, in the polls and, and the entrance polls uh, done on that day. Um, and that's a group that really he's galvanized. He's really worked. He's got a great organization. It's paying dividends right now. Mm-hmm. He's been around the track once. Sometimes that hurts you. This time for, for Sanders, it seems to be really helping him. Not that he's getting the numbers he got last time. That was only a two-person race. Right. But to do this and get a plurality, that's what the Democratic Party establishment is is concerned about. How do you get in front of him and with whom when you have so many moderates in the moderate lane? Right. And and the question is, how does the country view a self-proclaimed democratic socialist? And you recently did a poll along with PBS NewsHour and NPR yeah. in which you put this question to people yeah. saying, you know, can you get behind the idea of a democratic socialist? And, and the, what were the findings? Well, I, I mean, I think, look, the, the term socialism to those who sort of have a handle on it, some 
people think it has to do with social media. And it's, oh it's a little bit yeah, confusing. A little different. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it, it's still sort of like a candidate who's not well known and will be defined both positively and negatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, should uh, should that continue? Um, so, I mean, should Bernie Sanders continue along the road to the nomination? They're going to be hearing a lot about what socialism is and isn't, uh, particularly around his, you know, Medicare for all uh, formulation. And, you know, we're seeing some tapes about comments he made about Cuba, things about the Soviet Union. I mean, right, that somehow Cuba was better off under Fidel Castro yeah, because and, of some of his yeah, policies, which is probably not going to do you well in Florida. Right. I, I'm just thinking. Um, so, yeah. So you have that um, as an extreme. I mean, you have the social, and then you have Donald Trump, you know, on the other side, uh, the, you know, the, the electorate is polarized enough as it is right now. And now you would be posing two really polar opposites in terms of most of what they believe in. Uh, they're as different as Brooklyn and Queens, New York. <laughs> <laughs> and those are, being a Brooklyn gal myself, those are pretty I was, different. I was, I was guessing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this this latest poll that I'm referring sure. to shows 58% said they have an unfavorable view of what a, a democratic socialist yeah. is. If socialism is so unpopular among Americans, right, it begs the question, why is Bernie Sanders doing so well right now with the Democratic primary? Well, and I think you answered the question, if it's unpopular among Americans, why is he doing Doing well with the Democratic primary. Mm. It's a different slice of the universe. Um, so he's going to have to define what he is and what he isn't. I think he's pretty good at doing that. I mean, I think that's, you know, he's certainly been extremely consistent. Uh, you know, if, if people are concerned about flip-floppers or waffling, that's not Part of his arsenal. I right. mean, he he comes up to the starting blocks. You can play the tape back from 2016. <laughs> you pretty much and, know what you're going to get. And you get the arm gestures. You get the whole thing, just like yeah. you did. Um, so, um, so yeah. So, so I think he's you know going to have to establish that. And look, despite the fact that the economy is doing decently in some regards. Uh, in terms of consumer sentiment, for example, uh, people are still worrying about making ends meet. And although they think the economy is working well for them, it's still a struggle. And so, you know, there's things to be said substantively that Sanders is saying uh, Medicare for all may not ultimately be popular. Um, And certainly the Democrats who are saying, even with the Democratic Party, Medicare for all, but you can keep your health insurance, you know, if you choose, you know, if you right. choose to. Choice is a big deal with the health care program. And that's something, you know, does Sanders, you know, kind of adjust a little bit? Um, Elizabeth Warren did, and that didn't really pay off for her. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, in Sanders' case, being a pure type and, you know, what you see is what you get. May have benefits. May have benefits um, that that uh, that the terms socialism and capitalism don't really get at because it's going to be more than just that. You mentioned the economy, mm-hmm. which usually matters in presidential yeah. elections. Are you finding that with your Marist polls that most Americans give President Trump credit for the good economy we have right now, for unemployment at a 50-year low, for inflation being low? Well, it's, it's fascinating. And then, you know, part of why I like each election cycle is it always brings a new story. So, yeah. So w- what do we know about the economy? Well, we know it's the economy, stupid. That came out in 1992 right. with uh, Carville and the Clinton campaign. We know that people often vote their pocketbook. So we know that is kind of like a, you know, a principle of politics. But what we're seeing right now in, in the case of Donald Trump is his approval rating is substantially lower overall than his handling of the economy. So he's getting over 50% or giving him good marks 
approval for his handling of the economy, but his overall approval is in the low 40s. So there's about a 10-point gap there, mm. which sort of suggests that— There's an opportunity for yeah, somebody like a Bernie Sanders. Or, or somebody, somebody. To, to fill that gap. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's kind of interesting. So it means, you know, there's so much to say about that, just that gap alone. But, you know, American politics is funny that way. You know, sometimes you solve a problem— and the public goes on to the next problem. So if people are not as agitated about the economy and they feel it's kind of like humming along, despite the fact that people are still struggling individually, mm-hmm. but, you know, so they can deal with that. Um, if the economy is doing that, well, then maybe you have to, you know, move on to something else. And all of a sudden, healthcare looms enormous in people's minds. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing right now. So, you know, from a political standpoint, well, gee, I've done decent on the economy. Uh, President Trump is constantly saying jobs, jobs, jobs. I mean, you know, we saw him up in New Hampshire at a rally. I mean, that's that is the case he's making. Right. Um, but what if the agenda is now? What about health care? And that seems to be the number one pressing concern for you people. You know, to that end, has the coronavirus and the spread of the virus outside of China sort of become the black swan possibly for this election? Could it work against President Trump? Well, it, it, you know, initially his reaction, as it often is, is, well, no big deal. We got under control. Right. Um, people aren't going to necessarily remember that if it becomes more of a, of a concern. Especially here in the U.S. Yeah, but, but you know, it, ha- it has both a concern about the economy, but it also, I mean, I'm sorry, about, you know, healthcare needs. Sure. But it also talks about, you know, what the stock market may or may not do. Uh, and we've seen some reactions already with, you know, um, China and Japan having more immediate problems in containing the, 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 the situation. And, and I think that, you may, in fact, um, ha- see some instability and then in the markets, and then all of a sudden that converts into the economy, and then maybe the economy comes back center yep. uh, in people's they minds. They can do that. So, so, it, so aside from the obvious health concerns, right. it has a political potential impact in terms of the economy down the road. Have you polled people nationally <clears throat> or not yet regarding the coronavirus? We've talked about it, and people are concerned, um, not necessarily for themselves in the United States at this point, because it is not really present here in any significant way. Um, But I think people are concerned. And there's an underlying sense that maybe there's more to it than the story we're getting. And I think that feeds people's general sense of worry. Um, That there isn't a whole lot of transparency, especially coming out of places like China and Japan. Yeah. yeah. And then what what, what do we, you know, is it under control? How much money is going to be given in the public health realm to combating this, is it adequate? I mean, I think this is our political system has a difficult time, particularly in a presidential election yeah. year, handling something as hot as what that may become. I want to talk about South Carolina because I know you have a poll out regarding sure. that in a moment. But back to whether or not Bernie Sanders is unstoppable. Yeah. One wild card here is former President Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama. They have not backed a candidate yet. If they were to come out, and timing is everything with these things, so if they were to even come out before Super Tuesday Mm -hmm. and not back Bernie Sanders, would that be enough, do you think, to really turn the numbers for him? Uh, You know, I wish I had the answer to that. (laughs) Can we cut this question out and just continue with the next one? Come on, we brought you here because we know you have a crystal ball. So, so, you know... (laughs) Yes and no. I think with some voters, it would carry some sway. Um, one with, of the things, with the African with African American yeah, voters, yeah, maybe just a little bit. Uh, but you know, I'm thinking, you know, what have we learned? I mean, endorsements. How much do they deliver? Both from political folk. Now, the Obamas may be an exception to prove the rule, but 
you know, do, you know, what do the endorsements carry with them? What do newspaper and editorial endorsements carry these days? I, I, I just am not sure that people are not getting their information directly from the candidates and making their own evaluation. That doesn't mean that President Obama or Michelle Obama aren't important to, to the Democratic core constituency and it might help mobilize something. I'm not convinced he's going to get into this. Uh, I've noticed he said, look, he said about Donald Trump on anything that threatens the democracy, he would feel that he could step up and take a swing at it. Right. Well, there's been an awful lot going on and I haven't heard an awful lot from him. Yeah. So I'm not so sure. I know that's part of how are we going to stop Bernie Sanders, see all this great juggernaut. Yeah. Um, and maybe he could do it. But, you know. I'm not sure that's the way it's going to – I think it may be more significant for Democratic candidates who occupy this middle lane, and there's still four or five of them, if they run out of money after Super Tuesday and they aren't doing well and there's no real prospect of them winning the nomination mm -hmm. at that point, then not necessarily endorsing but getting out of the, getting out of the fray – we're still going to have— Step aside to make you know, room. Two-thirds of the delegates are going to be still selected after Super Tuesday. That's right. So although we're going to have a huge delegate uh, wave and people are going to start talking about the lead in delegates, which isn't really there now. I mean, right. it's just too so, early. Two, only two or three percent have really been selected so far. And obviously the super delegates don't weigh in until much, much later. But if you aren't at that point, well, you know— Maybe, uh, you know, we get some numbers, we start talking about delegates and the pressures then on mm -hmm. for the folks who, let's say, don't punch through in South Carolina, uh, the, uh, the, the, let's talk about, let's talk the about the Buddha judges, those Right. Folks. How much longer can they hold on? How much more money are they going to have to hold on? But Joe Biden, I mean, he is really betting on South Carolina coming through mm -hmm. for him. What are your polls telling you? Well, you know, there is a chance that right now, it, you know, it's sort of like as South Carolina has now gotten on the map, uh, you know, the time right. has Their come. Their time. You know, and I would say going into the critical time in South Carolina, Joe Biden does have a slight advantage. He is a narrow lead uh, over Bernie Sanders. Narrow lead. Now, whether he can hold that remains to be seen, um, but he is doing better in the African-American community than he was, for example, in Nevada that we were talking about earlier. Um, and that may carry sway with him uh, ultimately uh, in the South Carolina primary. But having said that, if the South Carolina primary is on Saturday, not if, it is on Saturday, right. um, Super Tuesday is three days later on Tuesday. Just from a practical standpoint, you have to have bought your ads. You have to have already raised your money. There is no real bounce except in the free media mm -hmm. and have all the balloons and the smiles on election night, primary night. There's no real bounce in terms of being able to put a, you know, a ton of money into ads after that. So your guess is <clears throat> even if there's a poor showing or a showing that he, he, he wished he did a little bit better in South Carolina – you don't believe he's going to drop out of the race before Super Tuesday. No, He'll no. stay uh, in it. There's no real reason. There's no incentive if it's three days away. Would any of the candidates you think drop out at that point? There might be, but I, I, I'd be surprised. And, you know, the thing is also, you know, in politics, if people drop out, then you say, well, what's this going to do for the rest of the field? Right. Well, if one person drops out, it's probably because they only have about 3 or 4% anyway. So right. it's not going to create in and of itself a big movement to another candidate. Which leads me to this question. <clears throat> right now he's ahead in the polls, but we've been talking. It's still very early. Mm -hmm. um, if Bernie Sanders were – if things were to start to change for him and he does not become the Democratic uh, primary uh, nominee, mm -hmm. where do his voters go? Who do they throw their support <laughs> behind? Yeah. Well, that that is the, I guess, $650 million question right, right now. In other words, there's a notion – there's a feeling out here that – 
although he's obviously served in politics a long time, but he's sort of the anti-establishment candidate, much like Donald Trump was four years ago for the Republicans. And the question becomes, what do Bernie Sanders people do if they feel in any way that this was not above board, Mm. not in terms of corruption, but just that, you know, from his perspective, the superdelegates, let's say, are not going to him, which is the right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they have a choice, but he will say those from people who were voted on. And that was, you know, this should be about who gets the most votes in the primary he process. He saw something very similar happen with Hillary Clinton yes. in 2016. So yeah. you're saying that the party will have to almost go out of its way to make sure the optics there which look they, Which good. they already did to some degree in changing the rules right. to allow, to prevent superdelegates from actually voting on the first ballot, mm-hmm. which gets into all kinds of technical aspects that we don't even have to worry about now. That's so far down the road. But for Bernie Sanders, where does folks go? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with what Bernie Sanders says at that point. And, you know, he does talk about— Because he has said he would back whoever the nominee is. And he said it's the most important thing that the Democratic Party uh, has a candidate who beats Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. electability. Now, that's also said to an electorate who's very much into electability— if it comes to pass that he feels in some ways that this was not above board, and again, I don't mean that in a sense of, you know, people weren't counting the votes right. right. I'm just saying that he feels that the party apparatus, such as it is— Sort of turns its back on him. You know, doesn't give him the fair shake. Then, then he kind of, you know, is less eager, as he was four years ago, I think, to mm-hmm. some degree, to, to play ball with the team. And I mm-hmm. think that could be very detrimental in places like the industrial Midwest— where Hillary Clinton didn't do well in, where Bernie Sanders may have some support. And it's always tough to take primary support and convert it into general election support. Mm -hmm. But you could see how Bernie Sanders could have an appeal in those blue-collar communities um, that Donald Trump did well in. There were areas that Barack Obama and Donald Trump— In many ways, they sort of overlap because they're going Mm -hmm. after sort of the same core voter, aren't they, ironically enough? At least in in the Rust Belt. Now, in the Sun Belt, it's a whole different thing. So if you then start talking about Arizona and Texas and and things like that, that's a very different battle. That's a demographic-changing battle. But You bring up Texas, I I think of Ross Perot Mm -hmm. in 1992, another billionaire Mm -hmm. uh, in the race, very different from Mike Bloomberg in many ways, never held public office in the way— Bloomberg did being mayor of New York City for 12 years. But could Mike Bloomberg turn out to be sort of the Ross Perot of this election in the sense that we already have a splintered party? Does Mike take votes away from a moderate, um, maybe people who were on the fence, and by de facto Bernie Sanders wins the nomination? Well, okay, for the nomination, the Bloomberg factor looms large. Um, He Look, he obviously has the money to spend. He's not going to be the one when we talk about running out of cash. That's not—we're not talking about uh, Michael Bloomberg— um, he's going to want to be in this for the duration, and that's his strategy, and certainly past Super Tuesday. We're going to find out what kind of vote-getting ability he that's actually has. That's the real test, right? We can, we can have a, a bigger discussion mm-hmm. after Super Tuesday. Yeah, but where we sit right now, is Mike? Is it just too early to count Mike I, Bloomberg out? I, yeah, I think it's too early to count him in and to count him out. Okay. Uh, I think he's had an impact because we see those ads. Those are national media buys. We're not seeing in the Northeast anybody else, really. We're seeing Bloomberg because they're national purchases of ads. Tom Steyer, though, you said actually had a pretty good showing in that South Carolina poll that you uh, yeah, talked about. Yeah, he's in, he's, he's in uh, third. The other billionaire in the race. Yeah, yes, yeah. Speaking, yeah. Of, speaking of money, he spent $20 million in South Carolina on TV. And $20 million in South Carolina on TV gets you a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's been spending his money very lavishly in that particular locale. Right now it's paying some dividend. 
Um, he said if he finishes third, he's positioned to go on. Okay. Uh, so he's one who might go on. Bloomberg may go on. And then you're talking about Klobuchar and Buttigieg and what are they going to do? And Joe Biden, what does he do? Michael Bloomberg. There's a whole bunch of not Bernie Sanders folks. Yes. And, 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 and it's a really important part of what the Democratic Party is about, whether those folks stay in or not, because – Multi-candidate fields work well to his 30 percent. It's not unusual for someone who gets a plurality to start racking up the delegates, particularly, although it's not winner take all in the Democratic Party as it was in the Republican Party, but there is a 15 percent threshold. So if you don't get to 15 percent, you don't get any delegates. Mm -hmm. And that means, in a sense, the folks like Bernie and maybe one or two others who do well— make the threshold, get the lion's share of the delegates, like on Super Tuesday, right. and really open up a gap over the rest of the field. And so it's not winner-take-all, but it's sort of winner-takes-more than just the proportion and it, and of it's winner. it's harder and harder yeah. to then to, to catch close up, that gap. to catch yeah. up to them. So, so that, that may be what we're about to witness. What have your polls shown with regard to the way people feel about Mike Bloomberg? Is it generally favorable? Well, no, no. Oddly enough, I mean, and, and, and again, our, our, the views in the Northeast about Michael Bloomberg are very different than they are around very the country. True. Around the country, people know him by, you know, very little is ads. You know, the debate. The debate performances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's sort of where he's known by. Um, his negatives are fairly high uh, at this point. Um, you know, there's issues that he's tried to deal with, uh, issues with the minority community, uh, issues with, with a variety of other aspects to his candidacy that have been raised, certainly at the first debate. And, 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 and he wasn't very adept at putting those concerns to rest, to, to put him to back, back seat. Right. Um, so I think it, it's, you know, it's on him, not just in the ads, but, you know, in terms of his own performance and his handling of the media and the like, that he provides good, solid answers to things like stop and frisk. Um, and there are better answers than the ones he's... You would like to think. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've we all seen the ads because, as you say, they're mm. national ads. When you're talking to me about big buys that Tom Steyer has made, I haven't seen any Steyer commercials no. here, but but I'm in New York. Go to South Carolina. Uh, right. <laughs> so, so Mike Bloomberg has had – his money has been able to buy him the ability to craft his message in these beautifully produced ads uh, that yeah, the whole country right. is seeing. Yeah. But in many ways, is the country seeing two Mike Bloombergs? Well, they, well, they, they, they may in fact be doing that, but they got him into the arena. There's no doubt the ads were excellent and they got him into the ring. But then the proof is in, you know, now scoring the points and that he remains to be seen. We're going to learn an awful lot. And he's not obviously on the ballot in South Carolina. Right. But Super Tuesday will be his first electoral test. And, and we'll see if this converts into maybe a couple wins in a few states. He's got to look like a good alternative to Bernie Sanders. Or what's the purpose of him other than just the money? Right. Now, Buttigieg, he— seems to have peaked kind of early. Mm -hmm. What's the outlook for him, do you think? Well, again, it gets back to the money problem. I was in the, the uh, room in Nashua, New Hampshire, uh, uh, which seems like uh, already six years <laughs> I'm ago. I'm sure. Uh, when he had that great second place finish. And there was a sense of excitement. He was talking about a new generation of Americans and leadership. I mean, he really honed his message down. Uh, the next morning, I'm waiting, okay, where's the bounce for Buttigieg? And it was all about Michael Bloomberg the next morning. Right. And even Klobuchar, who finished a convincing third yes. uh, with uh, around 20 percent of the vote in New Hampshire, normally that would have gotten some attention. 
not the case. So in a sense, Buttigieg's support, I mean, he would like to be one of the two or three remaining in the track, around the track, but so would all of them. Sure. And so then, and I think they're right now competing to be a viable alternative. Uh, and and for, for him and for Klobuchar, I mean, Klobuchar um, would be the only moderate woman still on, on, on the campaign. Uh, Buttigieg is the only one, he's about half the age yeah, thirty-eight. Yeah, he's barely. He's less than half the age of some. But of these a babe, counties. right? Yeah. He's got a lot of years to get back into into subsequent races. Yeah, right? I, I thought when I, I got to be the ripe old age I am now that I'd be older than most of the viable candidates, and it's not the <laughs> case. <laughs> yeah, they make all us all look young, right? Yeah, yeah, Seventy-eight yeah. years old, and uh, uh, has Biden been the great disappointment? In all this, do you think, for the Democratic uh, Party? Well, you know, he would have been a convenient answer, mm-hmm. uh, but let's remember that Joe Biden doesn't run well as a candidate on his own right. And he's been, this is his third time, forget about the Barack Obama, mm-hmm. when he was running as, as VP. This is the third time around the track for him as a presidential candidate. He has not won a single caucus or a single primary to date. It could change this Saturday in South Carolina. It would be his first W, first win. <laughs> Incredible track record. Uh, yeah. So, and so not he, an enviable one. So, so he's not a great candidate um, and there, it hasn't been. He certainly isn't stronger in this field you know, as the older he gets, I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard for him as it is for all these near 80 year olds. Let's uh, play make-believe for a moment. And this is a big, if. I, I've been playing make-believe <laughs> <laughs> as, as a pollster, right? Um, if, if Mike Bloomberg were to just really start surging, mm-hmm. there was talk, there were reports that perhaps he would tap Hillary Clinton as VP. What, what's your take on that? And, well, and also from past polls, how are people ready to have her back in office? I, I think, well, Clinton notwithstanding, first of all, they would have to do something about the residential requirement because you can't be a resident of the same state. So right now they're both New Yorkers. Ah. Uh, that could be solved. I always wondered when Donald Trump relocated to Florida, whether he was trying to Good create point. a brand. I don't want to get okay. you know, down, down that road. but you know, thought about it, that? It was noted. I noted it for future. I put it in the future file. I like that. Um, um, so, uh, you know, I don't think uh, reasonably that uh, Michael Bloomberg uh, will be, you know, looking at Hillary Clinton. But, you know, stranger things have happened in politics. I just don't think that's where he would go at this point. All right. Well, a lot of things still to be decided in the days and weeks ahead. Dr. Lee Marengoff, director of the Marist Institute for Public Opinion. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for being yeah, with and us. Yeah, ho- and I hope this, some of this turns out to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will. The odds are it probably will. We'd love to have you back. Okay, my and pleasure. thank you all for listening to this podcast, this edition of Electionomics. Be sure to follow me at Alexis TV News, and we'll catch you next time.